0: Welcome to The Booking. This is Nathan Ambrose your humble and obedient host, joined by Brandon Chasteen for a very special episode. A V... S-P. S-P, a V-S-P. No, VSE. V- yeah, a VSP. <laughs> and we're off. This should Look, she's judging us already. <laughs> this is rail.
1: Judgmental Anna over here.
0: Now, this is, this is a fun episode because this is kind of Booking After Dark. We're joined by three lovely ladies. <laughs> One of them is a you, long-time... Donor? She's given plasma. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. She's m- the incandescent Meredith. And she's not actually miked, but she's going to say hello, hello, incandescent Meredith. Hello, hello. How are you?
2: Fine.
0: Now, you are, of course, engaged to be married to me. That is true. How do you feel about that?
2: Incandescent.
0: Ah, oh. That's the name. Yep, that's the name. And speaking of incandescence, yes and beauty yeah and wisdom wisdom yeah we've got brandon chastity hey you thought i was gonna do a <laughs> fake out <laughs> was that a fake out um yes yeah uh,
1: Kinda. kind of people
0: thought maybe you were talking about me and you were gonna fake out to someone else yeah yeah, yeah. i thought about it but yeah. i decided not to i hey. fake i fake out a lot on you brandon and i don't like to do it all the time i like to mix things up sometimes i like to just play it straight Talk about your beauty, your wisdom. What else did we say Brandon had, sweetie? Munchkin? Incandescence. Beauty, wisdom. I think you said incandescence. Mm, incandescence. Yeah. Yes. Brandon? Yeah. <laughs> we are recording this episode very late. It is 10.22. I, I don't know. It's late for some people. I assume for a lot of us. too late, it's late for us. It's not too late, but it's 10.22. We are recording in your kitchen right now. We are. And I, I alluded to three lovely females. It's yes. It's a little bit like... Gilgan's Island. There were three lovely females on that. Were thing. there were three there? lovely
1: <laughs> females? Yeah, Mrs. Who doesn't make
0: us? Mrs. Howell. <laughs> uh, obviously, the queen of the loveliness. Yeah. But she was even called Lovey. Marianne. Yeah. And then
1: is it oh, G- oh, Ginger wow. or something?
0: All I had to say is Marianne, and I got poked in the ribs by the incandescent Meredith.
2: You were introducing the other one.
0: Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> the other wonderful women. So we've got. It's uh, Mrs. Chastine, the much alluded to Mrs. Chastine. Yeah, she's here. Yeah. Hi, Anna. (laughs) (laughs) Brandon has knocked his mic off of the table, folks. Here, hold it like this. (laughs) You got it.
3: Hello, everyone.
0: (laughs) Hi, Anna. How are you? Pretty good. What's it like? Give us a window into what it's like. People want to know what it's like to be married to Brandon.
3: It's very handy. It's it's very exciting.
0: (laughs) What do you think when you hear your husband talking about context and stuff on the podcast? What it's like? Are you proud of him? Are you just dismissive? Like, I have to put up with this all the time. Why do people want to listen to it? Like, how do you feel about it?
3: I love it. He's very busy. So it's kind of fun to get to hear him talk for like an hour straight.
0: Oh, okay. You actually have to listen to the podcast in order to spend a little time with your husband.
3: Oh, I'm, I'm joking. He works hard, though. (laughs)
0: Now, the third lovely female that we have here today is Brandon, your daughter.
1: Yeah, she's actually been on the bookending before.
0: That's right, yeah, many years ago now, really, at least two.
1: At least two, yeah. Yeah. She was on our um,
0: episodes about Boys of Blur. It's Alyssa Chastain. Yeah, the remarkable thing. Hi, Alyssa. Hi. Say it really loud so the microphone will hear you. Hi. (laughs) Folks, this is going to be kind of a party atmosphere on today's episode because it's at Brandon's house. It's late. Jake's in a meeting. And he's so not gonna be here. He's probably not gonna be here. I did text him and say he could stop by if his meeting got out. I don't know that he will. But we're gonna talk about poetry. Brandon's gonna explain why you don't understand poetry. That's right. Especially if you're a woman listening to this episode. That's right.
1: You don't get it. Because your brain just wasn't made that way.
0: But first, yeah, your your brain just wasn't made your your brain, you know, I mean, cookbooks. Yes. I would recommend you read those. Your brain's well suited. Sewing to manuals. Sewing manuals, sure sudoku puzzles so sudoku puzzles yes <laughs> and agatha christie <laughs> <laughs> hey we still didn't hear from ken we have to hear from ken
1: hi ken give us a word
0: good evening i'm from texas i love indiana going back to texas next week there you go <laughs> that was a word ken is from texas a few of He's them going back to indiana next or no man yeah. i i turned it into chaos i just got
2: Stop getting distracted. Yeah, well,
0: it's hard to podcast when you're sitting next to a goddess, you know? You think that... <laughs> Just imagine Odysseus with right. Athena. Right, Odysseus yeah. was sitting next to Athena. Is he going to be a good podcaster? No. No. He's... Can you imagine Odysseus's podcast? <laughs> what would that even be? <laughs> you're like I killed so... <laughs> 14 people today. They looked at me
1: wrong. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm in the boat again by myself. Got all my guys eaten. It's kind of lonely out here. Um,
0: (laughs) Yeah, it'll be a solo podcast. Who wants to partner with Odysseus? Hey, poetry. (laughs) Hey, poetry. Uh, Anna has thoughts (laughs) on poetry. Well, okay, so the incandescent Meredith and the lovely uh, Mrs. Chastain were discussing something earlier when the mics were not on. And I'd like to ask them to recreate this conversation Because they were both using their brains It was brilliant
2: <laughs> Our tiny, tiny, tiny female brains Your tiny
0: female brains were making little words Wheeze through your delicate feminine vocal cords And oh. uh, come out in high-pitched female yeah. vocalizations uh-huh. And there was some intelligence to them So <laughs> go ahead and uh, recreate the moment, please, darling <laughs> And the men are here to help you in case you yeah, get yeah. scared. Yeah, if, if you get too scared, like,
3: <laughs> oh no, a microphone! Well, so. I was just saying that I think that men like poetry more than women.
0: And your reasoning?
2: Because men seem just more romantic and women mm. a little bit more practical.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I was wondering out of everybody here don't know like anything about poetry and so I was just wondering if there's a way that perhaps has been done or has been done poorly or hasn't been done or whatever to write poetry in a way that is practical that would appeal to women not women like trying not to be practical and try and be more romantic but to meet them where they are and to just be practical in a way that a woman can enjoy without having to step too far away from just who she is naturally. Sure,
0: I'll improvise one right now. Take the broom and sweep the floor. (laughs) Then sweep and sweep and sweep some more. Go to the sink and do the dishes. And wish and wish and make more wishes. That your husband would come home. And give you kisses. And give you kisses. Amazing. Amazing. On your dome. Hey, were you engaged by that poem? And it's no. Intense practic- no. <laughs> I, oh. I
2: think...
3: I, Darn, it was
0: too romantic. I added the kiss part. Like, you were, you were with me for the sweeping <laughs> and the dishes, but then it no. got romantic.
2: No, no. Anna, what do you think? Perhaps, I'm just trying to think about what you mean by practical. Like, do you mean more like the actual... Okay, this is going to sound like really pretentious, but like the form or the genre or whatever, not like the, the actual content because like the content of that little impromptu poem was <laughs> practical but it was like, dude, I don't care about this. Like, well, this it also matter.
0: may not have been the greatest poem of all time. <laughs> it was close but not quite there. Good. There's at least a couple of Shakespeare's sonnets that I think top that. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe but even, I mean, but even if
2: there was. Even if John Dunn wrote about. Sweeping. Yeah. Like, I don't think it's necessarily. He wrote about a flea. Yeah, he did write about a flea. That matters. Oh, goodness, that poem. There's actually a second You like to a sweep with people.
0: Flea, flea,
1: flea part two.
2: Yeah, there's a second uh, flea poem. I
0: mean, oh, there are there are two separate flea poems. They're rather. I wonder if it's flea and then fleas. <laughs> Get it? <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: That's
2: funny. Uh, so, um, I, I mean, is it. The fact that, I mean, because you, you talked a little bit about how you don't, how you've read a little bit of poetry and you didn't really like it. Is
0: it inherent you in didn't, the form and function of poetry, or yeah. is it simply the content that poetry generally chooses to express itself about? Well, that's an interesting question.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. For example, um, Brandon used to write me lots of poetry. Aww. just was very sweet, and they were beautiful. But I think I would have been fine for him just to write I love you on a card.
1: <laughs> yeah, and so I don't write just him anymore. It's <laughs>
3: straightforward. <laughs> it just seemed like a very roundabout way of just saying that he loved me and thought I was pretty. Aww.
1: Aww.
2: And he expressed, he, he expressed the same
1: thing. I put all my feelings and emotions in a poem and then I had it shoved back in my face.
0: <laughs> you could have just gotten me a Hallmark card and said I love you, dear. Right. <laughs> A card and a foot massage would have done the same thing.
1: Well, I think poetry and... Well, there there are two phenomenons here. Mm-hmm. Okay. One, I think men do tend to like poetry more.
0: Yeah. What's your evidence for this, Brandon? Yeah. A lot of the people that I know that like poetry are men. <laughs> yeah. And most of them, I'd say most...
2: I have two brothers who don't.
1: Okay.
0: You have... Oh, I have one brother who doesn't. He's
1: probably listening right now no, and making fun we, of me for this name podcast. Name Hi, I'll... Jeremy. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Arnold Schwarzenegger probably doesn't like poetry. Okay, we can name men that don't like poetry. Fine. But I would say, of the people I know that I know like poetry, they are mostly men. I think that anecdotally, yes. Another aspect is that, in general, poetry is a,
1: I don't want to say a dying art, it's just a little understood art. And it's not to me, and I don't mean that to say that it can't be understood. Mm -hmm. I think that, so C.S. Lewis has a book, Essay on Criticism. I think we've talked about this, or an experiment in criticism. So, uh, I think we've said we were going to do a podcast on this book before. On say on Criticism? Yeah. We An should. Experiment on Criticism? Or, yeah. Like I said, I don't want to say it's misunderstood. Experiment and criticism, and that's, where we, mm-hmm. that's yes. where we were. He said that there are two types of people, one that love literature and the others that don't. Right. I think that's kind of fair. So he thinks that there are just people who are predisposed to liking literary things. He's also a bit of a snob. He that, is a bit of a snob. But one thing that he says that I think is useful is he historicizes his moment, <laughs> saying that poetry was moving away from what poetry used to be and towards a sort of academic poetry. Mm-hmm. After T.S. Eliot, he uses T.S. Eliot in particular, if I remember right. He thinks that the Academy kind of claimed poetry as its stake in literature that it could still say is erudite, intellectual, and no one else can have it.
0: Does that make sense? Yeah, it's something we talk about a lot on the book, which is the relatively new phenomena of the bifurcation of what is considered elite art and what is considered to be populist, yeah. uh, whatever.
1: And so you think about the way that like theater went when you had... Tennessee Williams kind of rode the line between Hollywood and theater, but then you had Samuel Beckett, mm-hmm. and you had Brecht, and you had Brecht was earlier than Beckett, but then you had um, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? Pinter and those guys, and now today Stoppard. Mm-hmm. They're not really going to be Hollywood playwrights. They're going to be more of the academic erudite intellectual, like I was saying. And so there was there was a split between these two categories, and poetry belonged firmly to the academy, when actually poetry used to be a fairly common art form that everybody loved. It was really popular. And so there was definitely a cultural shift, and I think C.S. Lewis points to it fairly well in that essay, saying that poetry, since it took on that stigma that it gained because of modernism, the poetry now carries a stigma that people think it's either hard Mm -hmm. and therefore not for them. Right. But also because they because it's hard, they think that therefore it's us. I think anything that has to do with intellectual difficulty is often also seen as effeminate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so poetry, difficult poetry, and this is partly true, uh, is is effeminate. But that therefore you don't they, mean the modern academy
0: thinks it's effeminate. You mean that like, a lot of like, like the working Christian class, conservative working Christian class.
1: class. So I've uh, told the famous story. of, I come to the. Well, famous with bookending people, because right. I've told it many times. I come to David's Mighty Men the first year here. That is a men's program that our church does, Saturday and morning men's group. The and pastor there is asking for guys to name effeminate things. Mm-hmm. And somebody stands up and very proudly says, poetry. Oh, boo. And then, if my memory serves, Jody Killingsworth got up and said, uh, what about King David? And Boom. Th- and so people think that it's either effeminate because it's so difficult to understand, or they just think it's effeminate because all poetry does is express love. Mm-hmm. It's like love poetry and so they think, well Shakespeare's sonnets are just about love and so then you teach a class to students about Shakespeare's sonnets and like every response you get is trying to say, well, this sonnet's about love and you're right. like eh, kind of, but it's actually about death and just the experience death, we have of time. Yeah, the experience we have uh, that everybody experiences where you're in love with someone and you realize that th- it's going to end. Right.
0: Wait, what? You're going <laughs> to die. Wait. Me and Meredith aren't going to, like, what are well, you saying? You're not going to live forever, Nathan. Okay, but love is, my heart will go on, right? I mean, and you're, you're going to die. Stop, I mean, unless you put it in, like, a blue stone that she can throw into the ocean, I guess. You want me to put my heart into a blue stone that you can throw into the ocean?
2: No, if you put your heart into a stone, I'll take a hammer and smash it to bits.
0: Wow. <laughs> Very practical, as we said. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, all right. Uh, so it's, I, I see this a lot in Christian circles, which are the circles that I run in. But, you know, as, as people, a lot of people trying to reclaim their, you know, manliness today, these are the kinds of people that might look down on poetry because... They think it's for losers and effeminates and... People that are into love and girls and lace and pink and unicorns and, you know... And a lot of that... And Anna and Meredith like
1: Yeah, and a lot of that has to do... It is... It's a historical phenomenon. It has to do with what happened with modernism. It also has to do with what happened with the romantic poets.
0: Well, can I ask you a question, Brandon?
1: And with Oscar Wilde, those guys,
0: because this they did a feminism. This is a meandering question for a Good. meandering episode, but true or false? Because I don't actually know a lot about the history of poetry. Yes. But when I think of, say, the Elizabethan area, When I think of the Elizabethan area, Like, when I think of the poets of the Elizabethan age... Wow, I cannot say that. When I think of the poets of the Elizabethan age... There you go. I think of effeminates. I picture... uh, I picture pops. I picture fops. I think of dudes that just want to woo Queen Elizabeth's court ladies... Yeah. And so they're coming up with this extravagant stuff, so yeah. that basically so that they can get in bed with somebody. I think uh, I kind of connect it to fornication in my mind. This is all This is the stereotype that I have. So when you say historically it wasn't always connected to those things, I'm actually a little surprised by that because I actually do think of it as a thing that you use to get ladies into bed, basically. Wow. Not to put too fine a point on it. <clears throat> well, I think during the courtly age it was.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, to put a fine point <laughs> right. upon it, I guess. Yeah, there's no getting around the fact that that's what John Donne was up to with quite a few of his poems. John Donne being the perfect example. Uh, Shakespeare with his sonnets, to an extent. Mm-hmm. Some of those were definitely up to the same thing, and they get worse than that. I mean, I could name you and read you quite a few fairly body Elizabethan poems right now. So it doesn't mean that poetry wasn't and ever used for that purpose. Right. But the question is, is, is that all that poetry is? I guess that's the question on the table. Right. Because that's all that some people think the poetry is. Right. Right. They think it can be that. Well, the people will often think, well, it could be used for um, song lyrics. Right. For hymns. For spiritual songs. And so that's fine. But, is there, but really there's no room for anything outside of that. Right.
0: Well, when you said song lyrics, I immediately thought of pop songs, and I thought of country songs, and most of those are about love, and most of those are designed to get somebody into bed. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not trying to challenge your point. I'm just no, I know you're not, yeah. because there's a reason people think that. That's that's my response. Well, why do people think that?
1: That's because poetry does deal with feelings and emotions. Mm-hmm. That is what poetry deals with, and um, I have a book right in front of me here yes. called yes. Understanding Poetry. The fourth edition, this is by Cleanth Brooks and Robert Penn Warren. Robert Penn Warren's name comes up a lot in the book ending. That's because he's a, a hero of mine.
0: Brennan's a big fan of Robert Penn Warren. If you don't know who Robert Penn Warren was, he wrote All the President's Men, mm-hmm. a pretty famous novel from the first half of the 20th century.
1: He's largely a hero because of this book in particular,
0: just because he really helped me understand
1: poetry at a time when I'm... I think that there are certain types of people, especially certain types of young men, who like... I guess it would be the kind that would be attracted to Dostoevsky. Mm-hmm. That also then get into poetry because it's the thing they should be into. Right. Without really liking poetry. They like the idea of poetry. Right. right. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, I, think I, I was one of those. I think basically. I was one of those too yeah. for a while. Then I found a poet that actually spoke to me and I think started to teach me what poetry was, and that was W.B. Yeats. Mm-hmm. And then it scandalized me when I found out, and I can remember beginning into Yeats. This wonderful book here. Mm -hmm. um it starts out with his essay as poetry as a way of saying and whenever i teach a course on poetry so i got to i got the chance to teach one semester long course on poetry Mm -hmm. which i loved one of my favorite classes and i've been told was a favorite of some of the students there too
0: you know what I, i i don't know maybe this is telling tales out of school but my brother wrote poetry now my brother is a cop he served as a Marine. He went to Afghanistan. My brother is stereotypically not a poet. And he's the kind of guy that would despise poetry, mm-hmm. um, just on principle, the kind of guy we've been talking about. And, uh, you know, very, not blue collar. He's a smart guy. Um, he is not the kind, of, he's just not who you would think of. He's, he's got uh, tatted up sleeves on both arms. But he audited Brandon's class. And if I'm not mistaken... Wrote some very nice poetry. He did. I think he actually learned
1: to appreciate and love poetry.
0: Right. And he was dating a lady at the time, and he wrote her some poems. Uh, One of them rhymed uh, knees with bees. Or breeze. Like the breeze is blowing, and your your, your knees are pretty. Okay. So here's the question then. So we have two questions on the table. Right. One,
1: why is poetry useful in Mm -hmm. the first place, right? Kind of the question, or what is the point of poetry? What was the question we, we asked didn't you about the Elizabethan po- it's been driving, like, driving this whole podcast. Yes. Why? Do, why does poetry matter? Right. Is there poetry outside of just what we stereotype poetry as? Right. That's kind of the question. Mm-hmm. Also, the question is: Is poetry anything beyond just love poetry? Right. Or is there a reason? And I think that there is a reason. We all always think of it as love poetry. Um, is it irreducibly feminine? If so, why don't females like it? The way that Pen Warren approaches it, which was it has always been useful to me is he starts by saying poetry is a way of saying. In other words, poetry is a way of talking about the world. And so if poetry is a way of talking about the world, there must be a sort of thing that poetry is trying to say. Mm -hmm. And so he approaches it by saying, well, there's a scientific way of approaching the world. And that's where we just look at the facts, the things. The table has four legs in front of us. Good night, Alyssa. (laughs) Alyssa is going to bed. Good night, Alyssa. She is approaching the sink with her cup, putting it in the sink.
0: Those are the scientific facts. She now, sig- how would you put them into poetry? Well. She puts her cup into the sink. No more will she now take a drink. Yeah. For she must hither to bed. Sounds like But she dying. should be glad she is not dead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: she should. But that is a good place to start. <laughs> right. Because fundamentally, poetry deals with these... The fundamental aspects of language, and that language has rhythm, language has rhyme built into it, mm-hmm. and so if we we can start there at least in the fact that children love nursery rhymes, they love little nonsense poems, and one of the reasons children love little nonsense poems is because children love the way that language sounds mm-hmm. language sounds a certain way and it has a playfulness to it, and the balance of consonants and assonance and alliteration and rhythms and rhymes off of one another and all the rhythms that go into poetry it's really fun to teach third and fourth graders what the difference between an am and an anapest is because then they start to see that rhythm of language and the language has a flow and a rhythm just like everything the oh the sea the moon the wind <laughs>
0: the, <sea laughs> the breath as wet as wet could be
1: yeah, the sand was dry as dry. You could not see a cloud because no clouds were in the, in the sky. The sky, yeah. no birds were flying overhead. There were no birds to fly. Yeah. And these are nonsense poems, but part of the joy of it is not the sense of it, but it's the illusion of sense given by the playfulness of the language, particularly though through the sound and the rhythm of it. Right. And so there's something about the sound and the rhythm of language that's just fundamental to language. Mm hmm. So that's the first point he makes, and that's, that's part of what poetry does, is it draws out these aspects of language. But there's something else that poetry does in that it draws out um, metaphor and image. And what metaphor and image deal with are the, he calls it the aura. What does he mean by aura? It's like the, basically connotation this, is a good the, way of thinking sense, about it. The, the sense about things. So shall I compare thee to a summer's day, right? Hmm means that that woman has the aura of a summer's day. There's something about her that reminds him of a summer's day. And these things that because of language, because of association, we start to talk about things in relation to one another. Mm -hmm. And it helps give meaning to something. And so by thinking of her as being as beautiful as a summer day, it actually adds to her beauty. Right. right? And it says something about her beauty, but then it also qualifies a summer day because he looks at a summer day and what's he going to think of? He's going to think of her. Right. Right. And so it has this inner relationship that's not, it's not a scientific, it's not a philosophical, it's not a logical way of thinking about the world. It's another way of thinking about the world. And that way of thinking about the world is through the way that we feel and experience life. And it really is. Once he, once Penn Warren explained that this is what poetry does to me, it was kind of both eye opening and I want to say calming. Hmm. In the sense I was, I, I, I wanted poetry to be something much more than that. But the fact that this is what poetry really just, this is what poetry is. It's that simple. right? It's the felt experience of the world. And that that's, can't be done through science. That can't, you can't have a scientist explain to you what it's like to be in a rocket. You can explain to them how the rocket works. You can have them explain to you how it gets to outer space. But you can't, in the end, have them explain to you the deep mystery of space. Right? And so Neil deGrasse Tyson, whenever he speaks, he has to become poetic. Right. He cannot, he, he, as much as he wants to, he tries to say scientific and I put quotation marks around Mm -hmm. that. He can't stay scientific. He becomes a poet.
0: Everything that's interesting about the guy, if you like him, which I don't, but if you like him, it's because he's a poet. He says, we are all stardust. I mean, that is his big speech, his Ted talk, you know. I don't know if this got cut from the episode. Did I already mention in another episode
1: about when I taught the students that poem about supernatural love by Schnakenberg? Does that sound familiar? Maybe, no. it, I think maybe it got cut and I don't. That might have gotten cut. Sorry. I don't so, know why. well, no, it's actually good because that fits in right here. So, there's this wonderful poem by Gertrude Schnakenberg called Supernatural Love. And in the poem, she talks about this daughter who's sitting with her father, and her father's kind of a scholar, and he's looking through a dictionary. And he's trying to look into why she calls chrysanthemums Christ flowers. Is it chrysanthemums? I think so. Yeah. He's looking through the dictionary. And he slowly realizes that there are all these deep roots to the word that mean like nail and blood. And he begins to realize that she calls him Christ's flowers because the words themselves that have made up the roots of this word of the flower actually mean Christ and his crucifixion. And then he there's this, she's doing needle cross stitch, and she pokes herself, and she starts to bleed. And she reaches up to her father, and he reaches down. and looks away from the dictionary and reaches down and like, kisses her finger, Ask the poem. And so these kids in the class were all trying to like draw out the transcendental meanings, the themes, right? And they were trying to say, well, this is what it means. This is what it means. This is what it means. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's kind of what it means. That's kind of but what else, what else does it mean? What else does it mean? What else does it mean? And none of them, they weren't getting it until finally I had to stop them and say, you know what this means guys, this means a little girl and her father's relationship reflects that of Christ and his father. That's that simple. It's that fact that you can feel these things in life. You can experience them in the way that you live and in your life. We get to actually experience it in the creation. And It's that that simple and in the same time deep. Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? Absolutely. You can't tease it out. You can't really say what that means, and that kind of confuses people. And so one of the famous poems, a very famous poem that I also like to teach students is The Red Wheelbarrow. Mm -hmm. So much depends upon The Red Wheelbarrow. Glazed with rainwater beside the white
0: chickens. I knew that's what you were going to say.
1: And you ask students, okay, what does this mean? And they're like, well, it means the glory of the farm. It means American independence. Right. It means all these things. And you're like, actually, what depends upon the red wheelbarrow? Glazed with rainwater beside the white chickens. In the end, what really depends? And if you have a clever student, finally you'll get them to say, oh, I know. The poem depends. If there wasn't the red wheelbarrow and there wasn't the white chickens, there would be no poem. And you're like, yeah, that's Right. The poem depends upon the fact that this wreck will borrow. is laughing over here. <laughs> but why I love that poem so much? It's a silly little poem. But why I love it so much is I think it shows you and teaches you what poetry really is about. It's the experience of the world as seen through the eyes of a poet, mm. and it takes into consideration um, feeling, attitude, emotion, intellectual understanding of the world too. And it tries to give what they call like this multi- multi-dimensional flavor to life through the poem that you can't get through science or philosophy. And Meredith, I don't think agrees with this.
2: I just finished a, not just, but two months ago finished a philosophy of language class and in that we talked about some of the same stuff you're talking about now not specifically about like poetry because it was a philosophy class but we talked about our interaction with language and our interaction with the world and the relationship of our feelings to it and yeah but the difference the
1: difference is that's a scientific examination versus an actual experience like of okay. and poetry attempts to make you feel it as opposed to just think about it does that make sense
2: yeah but then there are some philosophers who do try to well yeah exactly make you feel
1: it but that's why ever, but that's that's why everybody says Nietzsche is not really a philosopher he's a poet he is just a poet that's all he is and I kind of agree with those assessments of certain Kierkegaard not necessarily a philosopher he's more of a poet most of your Discrete. famous maybe you, would, maybe you would say that's unfair Yeah. But I think that they were philosophers who were trying to understand the world poetically.
2: I mean, I think that in the end, it comes down to the same thing. So you're just arguing about semantics, and you're just arguing about what title you give them.
0: I don't think it does, because I think somebody like Nietzsche doesn't actually want to give you an intellectual understanding of the world. He just wants to give you a sense of it. Yeah, And so when he says God is dead, famous example, we resonate with the way that we all feel the emptiness and such and such, but it's not, it doesn't actually help us anchor ourselves intellectually. It just gives us a sort of a thought handle handle. You know, I peer into the abyss for long enough and the abyss will peer back. It's like, those are the things that are popular about Nietzsche. It's because he was a poet.
2: Yeah. But philosophy is supposed to make you think it's supposed to, it's giving you, yeah, it's a bit more of a scientific worldview insofar as it's, more focused on feeling and thinking rather than feelings. But there was a worldview behind Nietzsche. There was a worldview. (coughs) There was an agenda. It wasn't just him looking out into the world and like, eh, part of it was, but like, just looking out and like feeling stuff and jotting it down his stuff got published for a reason he wanted it to get published for a reason like there's yeah, intentionality but, there well it's we'll not a tangent but
1: no it's not a tangent it's actually i think helpful um two things in response to that one i have to admit that i really like like imagist poems that really take the metaphor of everyday things and build that into the poem and so i'm going to lean heavily in that f- direction and that's really more of a modern trend in poetry so you're, you don't see that as much until you get to like William Carlos Williams and those guys who are going to follow after him. So there's that, there's a historical point there to make. The other is poetry. You can't forget also that poetry deals in particular w- with these things through rhythm and through rhyme and through the way that language sounds. And so it combines the way that language sounds with these felt experiences of the world. And then it also does it through forms and so there's a structure to poetry that isn't going to be in philosophy.
2: With the philosophers of like, most of them weren't, at least the guys that I were, was reading. They weren't writing in English. And so and especially like all the German guys, like they were try, they were trying to be deliberate. Mm-hmm. In how the, how the words came out and how they sounded and how they related to each other. So it did have an aspect of that craft, of that form, of that intentionality. I
1: mean, there's a difference, though, between intentionality and relation with words and the way that poets then try to think rhythmically and sometimes through rhyme. It's not always through rhyme. Yeah. But largely just through the way that language sounds. That is what poetry deals with, is building some sort of sense through the way that language sounds. Sometimes through the way it looks when you get to weird stuff like Apollinaire. Yeah. So it's uh, not
2: so much about the content.
1: But it is about the content. Because a lot of the way that they think so, if you like... Shakespeare's Sonnet one sixteen Let me not to the marriage of true minds amid impediments. Love is not love that alters when it alteration finds, nor bends with the remover to remove. Oh no, it is an ever fixed mark. that looks on Tempest and is never shaken, it is at start of every wandering bark, whose worth unknown, so although his height be taken. So far we're just talking about love, right? He's saying, I love you. This is what love is. But he's saying it a lot of different ways. Love's not time's fool, the rosy lips and cheeks within his bending simple compass comes. It alters not with his vain hours and weeks, but bears it out even to the edge of doom. Again we're just talking about the persistence of love and what love is. A philosopher would have just said it like that. Love is persistent and doesn't change. Shakespeare, on the other hand, <laughs> Fair, there's yeah. a difference. Yeah. There's a big difference. He says, let me not to the marriage of true minds admit impediments. Right there, we're dealing with M sounds and L sounds and the balance of I against... The rhyme that's going to be built into the line because it's a sonnet it has this form that's imposed on it through the tradition of poetry but also just through the sound of language
0: so are you trying to argue <laughs> that there's no difference between philosophers and poetries
1: or poetries. i think she's trying to push us to get a better clarification against what she's saying <laughs> and i think we're getting there
0: yeah, yeah
1: what was i saying oh yeah that poem that alters when it alteration finds or bends with the remover to remove i mean right there you're having a play on remover and remove that's a poetic way of thinking um,
2: so it's just poetic because it because of the form because it's because the author is thinking more about the sounds or is the it
1: the sounds because, and also through the metaphors and the images thinking particularly that way about things okay through metaphor and imagery as so opposed it's
2: experiencing to experiencing the world it's a experiencing the world in some way and b expressing that. Experience of the world, in a particular way, on the on a piece of paper.
1: Yes, be. yeah, yeah. That's a good way of putting it. It's it's a way of experiencing the world by showing people what it is like to experience the world. Does that make sense? Yeah. Through metaphor, because me- metaphor is per- an image
2: and rhyme and all the stuff. Those mentioned.
1: are particularly good at helping people see that, and so when Shakespeare writes Sonnet 116, he could have just said, baby, love doesn't change and I won't either. Here's a, here's a poem, it won't change because I'm Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> and that's basically what he says, you know, if this be error and upon me proved, I never writ. Yeah. Basically, hey, I'm Shakespeare, nor no man ever loved. Mm-hmm. So that's exactly what I just said, you know. So he could have just said that. But instead, he chose to say it this particular way, and that's because now you think of love in its persistence as a as a ship at sea tossed by this uh, a storm. You think of the grim reaper with his scythe and all this and things withering and dying, but still love persisting. And how does it persist? Because of the writing.
2: That's super helpful. Mm-hmm. I I feel like I have a whole greater understanding of poetry and all this fun stuff i'm still probably not gonna go read it but that's
1: fair enough I, i'm not expecting you to
2: but i, think I have a greater
0: understanding of this crap that like, i don't
2: like this, yeah greater practical understanding but all this stuff i mean to go back to something that you said earlier it feels kind of effeminate to me like it's all about feeling it's all about like experiencing the world in this way and then expressing well when
0: you it. put it that way <laughs> Well, you're, a fa-
1: if, you're, kind of a you're equating
0: feeling and sensuality, sensuality yes. not in the sense of sexiness, but just in the sense of the senses, sensuality, yeah. with effeminacy, and I think that that's absolutely wrong, darling.
1: I think, that's, I think Nathan's point is exactly the right response, because we could turn to the Psalms. That's exactly right. And why, do the, why do the Psalms exist?
0: Oh, hey, guess what? It's not just important that we have an intellectual understanding of God, there are whole books giant the biggest book in the bible many books of the bible actually dedicated to this is how you feel god these are images and i know that that sounds effeminate but apparently it was important that god give us handles
2: emotional handles emotional
0: handles and so a great deal of the scripture is just giving us emotional handles telling us how to feel and giving us taking things images ideas things that happen to us in our life like I know that my dad has a strong arm. And so I'm going to ha- say that God has a strong arm. Locked in, I suddenly understand. My brain and my feelings and my heart understand something about God. It never would have understood if I, if, if it didn't simply say God had a strong arm. And that's that's poetry. That's all it is. It's giving you a, an image, giving you a feeling that's associated with that image. And that is an incredibly helpful thing to do. And Brennan's about to be even more awesome on this theme. God. Am I? And I'm excited.
1: On the theme of the Bible, and the-
0: or well, well, not necessarily. But you're gonna you're gonna crush Meredith's anti feelings argument to the dust, and she's gonna weep, and her, no, te- I her tears have well, I think
2: three arguments against
0: me. Her tears
1: will mingle with. You already them. have three arguments against the feeling that you said. Well, that you have three ar- arguments against yourself.
2: No, I think... three I'm
0: arguments against me. What
1: I just said.
2: A way to nuance what you said well,
1: well there i back. mean nuance is a feminine way of thinking of things yeah, a feminine, well,
0: okay well let's complicate okay. things the girl on this podcast is kind of a little effeminate
2: <laughs> yeah that's actually exactly my point god made women to be be more practical that's like how we think is
1: but then why different. then would it be effeminate to have Feeling and, exp- and exp- to express yourself through the way that you feel and experience the world.
2: Well, that's I'm not.
1: Can I can I I'm parse out what kind of you're saying here? here? Sure. Can sure. I? I think what you're saying yeah. is the way that we actually think of it today. But I think it's a twisted way of thinking of things. Yeah. I think we think, and it gets into conservative circles with our "gaddy up, <laughs> get them tiger" mentality of manliness. <laughs>
0: Our Gaddy up Kim Tiger mentality. (laughs) There's another T-shirt for you, Gaddy up Kim Tiger.
1: Maybe I should say. So, can I pause and say some of my credentials to say this? Yeah. My brother and I, we run a business together. I like to barbecue. I'm outdoorsy to an extent, right? I'm I'm not anti man's man sort of stuff.
0: No, Brandon's a
1: dude. So there we go. So I can say this sort of stuff here.
0: We're drinking my wife. My
1: wife will say right, Anna. It's very true. (laughs) <laughs> okay I just I, I don't sit maybe some people think I just sit in my library Your in my bourgeois. smoking jacket all day <laughs> reading poetry
0: that's Your not the way that I live my life yeah that's yeah. not how I live my life um, folks Brandon said that's not how I live my life and then he took a swig of whiskey that's, that's right That happened he slammed it to we just lost so many <laughs> listeners <laughs> they were gone already they were gone already this episode's lost everybody Jake <laughs> No, I like this episode. This episode is different. This is good. I like... Yeah, we should do this occasionally. never be invited again, but...
1: uh, She's making this interesting. I wasn't expecting... She's she's making me uh, think through this. I'm Um, sincerely
0: kidding. It's nice to have you.
1: Yeah, I think the response to you, Meredith, is that that's just the way that we think of feeling today, and it's wrong.
0: My response is, get back in the kitchen.
1: (laughs) Uh Um, um, A lot of guys are uncomfortable when David and Jonathan embrace... And then the queer theorists, they all leap Garbage. in the air and say, oh, it's our moment. They embraced. Shut up. And all the guys beat their chest and say, I'm going to go kill a deer. And the, the accurate response is no. King David was a paragon of manliness. Yeah. And he wrote all the Psalms in there. And he said he drowned his bed in tears. Yeah. That's a poetic way of thinking about the world. It's thinking of the world through the experience of despair.
0: Darkness is my closest And using a
1: metaphor, yeah, of drowning your... He wasn't literally drowning his bed in tears, but that helps you get at the moment that he was in. And that is the essence of poetry right there. That right there. Drowning my tea... uh, Drowning my tea in sears.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The essence of poetry. Drowning your tea in tears. (laughs) (laughs) Tea in sears.
1: (laughs) The store, I guess. (laughs)
2: I, I get what you mean and and I with my next question, I don't want to get as i mean I feel like I'm just creating tangents here, but
0: this is gonna be an episode of Tangents. I think we'll probably come back next week and do a more traditional <laughs> booketing episode on poetry Brandon minus so, the one okay. It
1: sounds good to me with
0: Jake involved. With Jake involved, and...
1: yeah, I think this has been fun. Thanks. No, we're gonna, so we're serious. all gonna leave and read some Agatha Christie together. Exactly, <laughs> and work some crossword puzzles. That's what we
0: do for fun. No. Let me just say though, sincerely, I like this episode. I just, I just want to—I want to free you to answer her questions, and so
1: I think this is great. I'm—I'm I'm enjoying the way, and I kind of think that I'm saying generally what yeah. we'll say with Jake too. Right. But it'll just be fun to drive it home again. Yeah,
0: I, I think so, so. I think
1: that's great.
2: So my question oh. is: I mean, you guys have young boys. One of the one of the younger boys there was being a little mopey, mm-hmm. and. Kind of the comment that was said to him was like, hey, man up, like go outside, like quit being all mopey and get dirty, whatever. To me, that kind of feels like, hey, suck up your feelings, go be obedient, boys, for young boys to be told to discipline themselves in their feelings. Okay. And to- I-,
1: I can respond to that. Okay. Um, it is effeminate to be lazy with your feelings. Okay. And so it's important to teach your boys to have control over their emotions because they can and they should, especially girls too.
0: It's it's like what a lot of people want to do is say horses are dangerous. You can fall off a horse and break your neck, so we're just not going to ride horses. And what an actual manly man will do is say a horse is awesome. I need to put a bridle on it. I need to tame the horse. I need to learn how to ride the horse. And I you think sound that's like Calvin. I sound like John Calvin, of course, or Calvin and Hobbes. I'm not sure what you're referring to. Um, John Calvin. John Calvin. I, I, think, I think what we do is we don't run away from emotions. We learn to wield them and wield them well and approach mm-hmm. them well. And actually poetry done right and approached right is a absolutely wonderful tool for yes. doing that. And so suck it up and go don't cry is an appropriate thing to tell a boy in a certain context but he also needs to learn how and when to cry he shouldn't necessarily cry about his scraped knee if he's a certain age he should cry about whatever his dead friend about a sunset about all kinds of there's many things dying his dying king his dying king there's many things to cry about and so it's not learning not to cry it's learning when to cry yes and that's what poetry actually teaches you
1: good poetry that's right And that's why bad poets can be very dangerous, just like bad philosophers can be very dangerous because they teach you how to think poorly. And so for a young man, running across Keats is a pretty dangerous thing because Keats is going to teach you to just worship your emotions. Mm -hmm. Even though there are some good things about Keats and about his poetry, there are things to be learned about imagery and metaphor and stuff through Keats because he was a good poet. He's still dangerous because his content was bad. He's very similar to like Hemingway. And so, yeah. Yeah. I think what Nathan said is spot on. I don't know if that answered your question.
2: Yeah, I think it did. Um, I don't know,
1: because I, I would say that because I don't remember your question now. <laughs> oh, I remember it now. Yeah, that answered your question. <laughs> <laughs> that poetry can teach you how to control those things. So, and that's because the bookending, I think, from the bookending, we've always taken the stance that l- the whole philosophy of literature not being didactic is silly. Literature teaches, but I think what I've been trying to argue with poetry and what maybe we can tease out more with Jake when we get to like a definition of it, mm-hmm. is that what we think it should teach is different right. than what it actually teaches. Like and that's the thing I ran into with students was fascinating to me to actually teach like the red wheelbarrow to students and them just spend it literally maybe thirty minutes to forty minutes just trying to tease out the meaning of this poem. And then finally, well, has anybody thought that maybe? It's just the poem. Right. So So
2: then when you mentioned earlier the seeming conflict between uh, poetry being feminine or focused on feelings or whatever, and then why don't women like it? Mm -hmm. Um, That's really a false conflict because, because, because feelings, emotions, isn't just the realm of women. And women cannot like poetry for other reasons. I think that that is still an interesting question to tease out. But I think that you've proved that that's a false tension.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Women should like it.
2: Yeah. Why don't women? Why don't women? Well, that's an interesting question.
1: But so I think though, I think that we've kind of skimmed around it. But to bring the answer back to why has poetry been so much about love? Yeah. I think by now it's pretty clear because one of the most important human experiences is love. And the fact that that is one of the most intense human experiences will obviously. So if you think about what are the things that most commonly get expressed in poetry, death and love, literally, those are probably the two things. Why? Well, because of the two things that are going to dominate your life. Yeah. Your love for other people, either your wife or your children, your family members, people at your church, or death, the sadness of death. Those are going to be the two things that dominate your life. The side of heaven. I think mean, that's just, I think that's pretty true. I mean, think about the most intense emotions you've ever felt. I can think now, you know, I've got Anna, my children. You've got love there. You have death, people who've died. Those are the things that just dominate you. So.
2: And since poetry is all about experiencing sounds weird to say experiencing the experience of life, but that's kind of what it is. Yeah. Experiencing life in a particular way and expressing it in a particular way. Since the two biggest experiences that you have in life are death and love, then naturally you're going to experience yeah. those and naturally you're going to write about them and well, try to express them.
1: And so poetry tries to find ways f- to help you feel that. Yeah. So this is a way that we haven't said it yet. Mm-hmm. Poetry finds ways to help you in to take another step back you always have to remember there's a poet but then there, are are all yeah. there's a, a someone who's speaking mm-hmm. and it may be an imagined speaker that the poet has but it's they're they're trying to help you see the world in the way that that poet sees the world and so they're reaching for these metaphors and images to help you feel about that moment the way they felt about it does that make sense
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that's the struggle of poetry and a better poet's going to do it better than others
0: well, I think one of the things that's helpful, I don't know if this is the right way or time to say this, but one of the things that I find so helpful about poetry is that I don't actually, in the moment, feel the right things. When I attend to death, when I attend to love, I mean, <laughs> when I'm in the moment... Sometimes I crack up laughing. Well, yeah, honestly, I've never been to a funeral where I've been half as sad as I have been contemplating the funeral afterwards. It's just been my experience that I actually, in my life personally, maybe this is just neurotic, Nathan, but I never feel the right things. And I never actually am able to hone in on the emotion that it is proper and good and godly for me to be feeling in the moment of almost anything. And I'm a very neurotic, meta- textual kind of guy i'm always stepping back and thinking about my response to things and i'm always finding my response to be wanting and so poetry is incredibly helpful to me because it tells me what my response should be to things when it's good and it allows it models a response for me and it gives me a handle a way of thinking about okay this is what death maybe my grandpa's funeral was just a bunch of relatives blowing their nose and that's what it was actually about for me in the moment and it was about the fact that i reached out and touched his skin and it was cold and those were the two things but being able to think about it in a more profound way to connect it to things that are bigger is what poetry about death can 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 give me i don't know if that even makes sense but no it makes a lot of um, sense when you say love and death it's like man love and death are things that people do terribly people drug themselves they medicate themselves they ignore things they they actually have a hard time latching on to what is profound and what is good and what is godly and what is big about love and death and so we need poetry actually to tell us why love and death matter and how they matter and and how to approach them how to think about them yeah
1: that's the point of poetry right there we found it nathan got it
0: Yay! Yeah.
2: But if that's the point of poetry, then you, be, then you better be really careful about what poetry you are. Oh, you,
0: so careful. Oh, absolutely. Very, it's very careful. It's the most careful. potent art form that there is, maybe. Yeah.
1: And I think that um, poetry takes a lot of work. That's one thing that people don't realize. Like any good art form, if you're actually going to appreciate it and not... One thing that used to drive me crazy, and I was also just a jerk of a kid, But when I was training to be a pianist, I would go to these piano performances and I would just hate all the rich people that were there. So they don't understand. They're just here to buy a ticket because it looks cool for them to be here and they can see their friends. And there was something that I was picking up on, even though I was a jerk about it. The sense that they just did want to be there because it was a status symbol. They didn't actually do the work to appreciate this music. They didn't understand it. And that sounds really snobbish, but it does take work to understand these art forms and it's work that's worth pursuing. I I would hope that every student that I've taught a poem to, there's a wonderful little poem about, um, would it be a a good way to end to kind of do a case study? Please. Yeah. You want to do the one on the autumn in Ohio? Yeah. That's a beautiful little poem, but it's a, I think it's a great little study about what it, what, the benefit you get when you actually pay attention and try to understand a poem. Autumn Begins in Martins Ferry, Ohio. This is by James Wright. In the Shreve High football stadium, I think of Pollocks nursing long beers in Tiltonsville, and gray faces of Negroes in the blast furnace at Benwood, and the ruptured night watchmen of Wheeling Still dreaming of heroes. All the proud fathers are ashamed to go home. Their women cluck like starved pullets dying for love. Therefore, their sons grow suicidally beautiful at the beginning of October and gallop terribly against each other's bodies. Why? So, when I do this with students, they often get kind of confused by this poem. They're trying to understand what's going on. But if you start looking at it, the poet's in the Shreve High football stadium, and he's thinking of Polak's. Nursing long beers in Tiltonsville. One famous phrase is that every word matters in poetry. Mm-hmm. So long beers. Why long beers? Well, it's going to play off later. So keep in mind, long beers. Okay, Anna? Keep that in mind. Okay. Gray faces of Negroes. Why gray faces in the blast furnace at Binwood? Why gray faces of Negroes in the blast furnace at Binwood?
2: They're old. They have dust in them. Our-
1: they have ashes all over them, right? They've been... They've been working. Okay, yeah. And the ruptured night watchman of Wheeling Steel, dreaming of heroes. Ruptured. What's ruptured about him? Night watchman. He's like ruptured back, right? He's old. He's crooked and bent from work. What are they doing? They're dreaming of heroes. That's important. So you have him. He's thinking of these guys. The guy's nursing long beers. The guy's working hard. And they're all dreaming of heroes. All the proud fathers. So these are the proud fathers are ashamed to go home. That's always an interesting word, ashamed, to go home. Their women cluck like starved pullets, dying for love. Now, that's... Well, who's thinking that? Their women cluck like starved pullets? The men are thinking that, right? They're like, oh, the old woman, she's back nagging me. I'm just going to keep drinking this beer here with my buds, right? But then the poet enters again saying they're dying for love. All right, so we have the men... They don't want to come home. They're ashamed because they think they know their women are dying for love. The way they get around it is by saying they're just going to nag me if I go home. So I'm just going to stay out. They're dreaming of heroes. And then he has this, therefore, and this is, if you see the poem, it's just a line by itself. Therefore, their sons grow suicidally beautiful at the beginning of October and gallop terribly against each other's bodies. This is about football. And this is giving you the, so here's the experience of someone who's watching football. He's watching these young men out on the field and he's thinking, Hey, why are they out there? And he's saying they had fathers who dreamed of one day being heroes, right? And yet they've been disappointed by life. They won't man up and go home and be a father to their sons, right? Or husbands to their wives. And so their sons in a desperate attempt to get attention and love play football. But you would not get that. And so now that we know that, should I read it one more time? Mm -hmm. Now that we know that's what the poem's getting at, that's the feeling it's wanting you to feel, right? You have to feel it. you have to experience it. That's what he's going for, this universal. And so when I taught this, there was a kid who actually, he's a foster child. And he, like, almost started crying. He's like, yeah, this is why I play sports. And I have such a close relationship to my coach now. It's like, I see this. Boys just want men to admire them. And that was, like, heartbreaking. But it just gets at something universal about people, right? But you can't get this with philosophy. Philosophy can't tell you this. Could philosophy make you cry like this? Yes. No.
2: Yes. <laughs> no. Yes. No. Kierkegaard made Nathan? me cry.
1: Because he was a poet. Yes. <laughs> ah. In the Shreve High football stadium, I think of Pollocks nursing long beers in Tiltonsville, and gray faces of Negroes in the blast furnace at Benwood, and the ruptured night watchmen of Wheeling Steel dreaming of heroes. All the proud fathers are ashamed to go home. Their women cluck like starved pullets dying for love. Therefore, their sons grow suicidally beautiful at the beginning of October and gallop terribly against each other's bodies.
0: Gallop terribly.
1: Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. gets us something just fundamentally true about fathers and sons, and the failures of fathers... And yet the sympathy that you have towards that failure because you see it, you know what that's like and what it feels like. But especially this sadness for the boys, but also sympathy that you get for these boys. It's just its wonderful. That's the power of poetry and metaphor right there. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: I enjoyed a poem.
1: You enjoyed it. There we go.
0: All right. We've achieved our goal. (laughs) We did it, Nate. We did it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I feel like I should explain to the listening audience the incandescent meredith i think if i may approaches philosophy and brings her own poetry to it so she can actually read a theological tome that others might find dry and she she finds it poetic i don't <laughs> know that it's always necessarily because there's inherent poetry to it
2: there is
0: but there's man an- does she know how to find it
2: <laughs> huh.
1: I still don't think we've answered the question about women in poetry, but that might be for another podcast.
0: Well, we're going to come back. I love this podcast. I have no shame about this podcast. I think it's a great podcast. I'm happy we did it. I think we should come back and do a more linear thing also. With Jake. This was the poetic version. Yeah. (laughs) We'll come back and do the philosophical podcast.
1: Oh, didn't I promise to to tie all this back together? Yes. Well, we have. Think about it. How is this poetry? We have the experience of being here with someone you love, mm-hmm. with friends, with good drink, good food. Mm-hmm. The experience of this moment, this podcast could not have existed without the poetry of what's happening right now. That's right. And so, this poem, this, this, we've been writing a poem together, Anna, on this podcast. Forever we should, we and should, ever we should clink glasses.
0: Yep. There you go. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm looking at you today was an interesting podcast. (laughs) It featured Brandon, me, your humble and obedient host. Did I even introduce us? I don't think you did. (laughs) Wow. I'm Nathan, your humble and obedient host. That's Brandon Scholar, who's a baller of reading. We've got the incandescent Meredith, the lovely Mrs. Anna Chasteen, and uh, Jake, the pastor who's a master, could not join us. He was in a meeting, but he'll be back next week for a, a linear discussion of poetry, but I like this one. I stand by this one. And we made Meredith appreciate a poem. So, yeah,
1: I think what you're going to hear next week is pretty much just an A to B to C discussion of what we just did.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. And I think that there's value in that, but also, like, yeah. he who has ears can just listen to this podcast.
1: That's Maybe. right. I don't know. You'll get something out of this.
0: People like linear stuff, so we'll give them something linear, and we're not wrong to do it. But I'm also, I also like this. So, all right. Thanks for listening. Say goodbye, uh, Anna. Goodbye. Say goodbye, Meredith. Goodbye. Say goodbye, Brandon. Goodbye. Hey, support us at patreon.com forward slash the bookening for just as little as $1 a month. You can get all kinds of great rewards and stuff and experience the poetry of supporting your favorite podcast. You
1: can leave us a poem as a review on uh, Apple.
0: Hey, let's dictate one for them. I'll do a line, then you do a line. Okay. I love this podcast oh so much.
1: You could listen to other podcasts and such.
0: But that would make you quite a fool. Because the bookending is really quite cool. (laughs) It is so good, so good, my friend.
1: So listen to it now and forever. The end.
0: (laughs) There you
2: go.
1: There you go.
0: Hey, thanks for listening, folks. Bye. Bye. Bye.